Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. by Riverside. Welcome back to episode 113 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Super excited to be back here on the pod. My name is Trevor Powers, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Dan Galati. We have a super special guest today. We've interacted on Twitter plenty of times. Uh, he's a friend of the pod. We have Max Greenfield, who's the co-host of the Caught Looking podcast. Max, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, guys. It's uh, it's finally, as you said beforehand, it's good to put faces to the account that I actually really do enjoy interacting with. Every time you guys tweet me, I'm like, ah, that's a good take. It's a good take. I like that. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate that. And, you know, it's it's fun because there's, you know, it's it's weird to interact with somebody through social media in so many ways, but you feel like you almost know the person by, like, the takes they have and you know their opinions. And I, I, I knew, at, yeah. at least from our standpoint, we aligned in, in some capacity. So we knew I feel like I'm fairly much like my Twitter account. Like, you can read my tweets and get a good gauge of who I am. I tweet yeah. and talk the same. I feel like mm-hmm. I do a pretty good job of that. 100%. And the first thing that I'll say to you is I want to thank you for your service because you are out there on the front lines fighting Yankees Twitter accounts. And I just want to know what that experience is like. Yeah, um, I feel like I'm not that popular amongst the fan base that I support. Um, and that's probably because like my whole view in life is like, I I try to eliminate bias as much as I possibly can. That's really hard to do. I'm not debating, like, I'm still a biased person. I have takes that I'm, like, fully, like, again, I told you, like, I really love Logan Webb because he's from my hometown. So, like, I'm immediately biased about the person. But um, I try to do my best in, like, what's the thing that makes the most sense? Like, what's the most logical outcome here? And what's 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 the best outcome? And in sports, that always, that doesn't always go over very well. I fully admit that, like, there's a time to be emotional and frustrated and be upset. And that's fine. I do that not on my Twitter account. I do that in my head privately. Like I'll write something in my phone and maybe it'll be a tweet where I tell somebody 
maybe some not so nice things. And then I just delete it. And then I feel better. And then I'm, I'm fine. But the problem is like a lot of Yankees Twitter just tweets those things and they just say those things. And I'm like, all right, come on. Like, like let's take a step back here. Like, let's think about this a little bit. And so that doesn't always go over very well, especially when I say, relatively speaking, prior to this year, that I think the Yankees were an exceptionally well-ran organization and that they have had a lot of success. That didn't go over very well, and a lot of people don't like that. And I understand, like, that this year has been extremely frustrating. They've been tough to watch at times. Like, they lost nine in a row in August. They were They've been not very good for most of the year. But... Also, it's nowhere near as bad as they say, right? Like, you know, every fan base has doomers. It's just the Yankees have a lot of them because, you know, they've won 27 titles. The fans expect rings and also, but the Yankees won titles when, you know, they had a giant advantage of they could just outspend everybody. They can't really do that anymore. Like the Dodgers, the Padres, the Mets, and, you know, other teams are willing to kind of spend at their level. Like the Yankees, you know, don't do that as interesting as George was and really wasn't that fantastic of an owner, but like he was always willing to just outspend everybody. You know, his son's not like that. So they lost that advantage. And now Yankee fans can't really realize like they just have to be good at the things the Dodgers are good at the things that the Orioles are and the Rays are. And that doesn't always go over very well. So uh, yeah, I like, I don't like, like arguing with people all the time and everything like that. I'm trying really hard to get better at it. My fiance tells me I do it too much. And so <laughs> I love her and she's always keeping it real with me. So I try to, to, you know, get better at it. But man, sometimes like you see that tweet where it says like Aaron Boom's a bum for like bringing in this guy. It's like, you do realize he had two relievers available today, right? It's like, why did we go to this guy? It's like, Dude, we're fans. We have no idea what goes into bullpen decisions. I like I said before the season, I was like, I'm going to stop judging bullpen decisions as heavily as I do because I realized after conversations with people, like I really don't know. I know like 30% of what goes into yeah. any, any decision, and so mm-hmm. I'm just going to stop doing it. And again, that just doesn't go over very well. Yeah. Twitter, where I'm just like, hey man, like think of it from their perspective, which they can't do. I will say my favorite part of interacting with the Yankees Twitter this year was the Lindsay Adler, who used to be the beat writer for the athletic for the Yankees. Who's her work is great. Super, super great. If you're listening to this, I highly recommend checking out her work. Um, She basically wrote an article about like where the Yankees went wrong this year. And she ended it with like the Yankees tried to do what they thought their fans wanted and was go for contact hitters because they thought they were too reliant on the home run. And that hasn't really worked out. And fans melted down at the fact that she was right. Like, they couldn't handle the fact that they were wrong. Like, that this desire for contact was not the route that the Yankees should have gone. And ironically, it has made them even more reliant on the home run because they didn't get good contact hitters. They got bad contact hitters. Like, like that's just – I could go off on hours about how interacting with Yankee fans is – interesting concept but i want to keep my job so i'm gonna i'm gonna stop yeah and i'll even tell you that i mean to start with your bullpen decision point is it's just there's so much nuance and people only judge in hindsight right when a a move works nobody says ian hamilton stinks we shouldn't have went to him when ian hamilton comes out and punches three in the seventh inning and makes it clean and you keep that five three lead ian hamilton's the best thing in the world even though they were cursing their tv but they don't go on twitter with that and you know i i mean back to the big picture of you interaction your interactions with yankee fans i saw you on some top 10 uh 
uh, worst Yankees Twitter list. Which, yeah, that which was to crazy. Me makes makes you a good Yankees Twitter <laughs> account. I, all of the people I saw on there were were yeah. That smart account people. that tweeted that. Did you see what happened with that account? No, that I was, didn't. Th- this is okay. This is, I mean, this is deranged. It's crazy. Like, <laughs> so, like, three days later, he put out a letter that had several domestic terrorism threats. So, like, he said he was, go- he, he described in detail what he would do to Brian Cashman. He described in detail what should be done to Yankee fans outside of Yankee Stadium. The tweet got taken down. Like, there was like yeah. legitimate, like, like domestic terrorism level threats in there. Jeez. And he was like, yeah, like, this team caused me to, like, like have a suicide attempt and i was like like yeah this was it was crazy crazy i mean like i know i'm kind of joking about it and everything like that but like it i have to because i couldn't believe like that was real Uh, if you're if you're listening to this if you are contemplating bad thoughts because of a baseball team go to a therapist Go to several therapists. In fact, just check. Yeah, that's just, one of our sponsors. Just check show. yourself. Yeah, just check yourself into like a hospital or something like that. Like, it's not that serious, man. Like, it's no. it's really not. It's not that big of like. Yes, my favorite team wasn't very good this year. I was also a Sacramento Kings fan. I've seen a lot of bad teams in my <laughs> life. Like, I I had to watch George Carl and Demarcus Cousins like get angry at each other every day for a year. Like I've seen bad stuff. It's not that bad. It could always be worse, man. You could be the Rockies. You could be the Royals. The A's. You, you could be the Angels. <laughs> you could walk into two of the best players in baseball history and somehow still be awful. Like it could always be worse. Always. And the 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 beauty of sports fandom is there's just so many different levels of fandom, and you see it, you know. No matter what sport you root for, what team you root for, there's always like good and there's bad, and then there's mild mannered and not that interested, but claim the it's it's fascinating how everyone goes about it. But that I mean that that's a that's a scary that's a scary thought right there to think it's, that someone's yeah, it, like it was crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's legitimately not crazy. At the end no, of the it's day. not. It's really well, it's like always, the- these guys don't care about you. I got like, no! and they shouldn't, but they really don't care about you. It's great that they you're don't know you exist. Right. They don't like the like. Listen, and they're just trying to do their out job. There, <laughs> if you're going out there and being like, if Shohei Otani doesn't come through here, I'm going to like go jump off a bridge. Otani is not doesn't know who you are. Like he's he not trying to upset you. No, he's really he really <laughs> wants to come through there. Believe me, he wants to do well. Like it's not like it's not like uh you know. What's it? Who is the guy who blew the save the other night for the Pirates? Uh, Holderman. It's not like Holderman's trying to go out there and blow saves, or you know, the fact that uh, you know the entire A's roster is just bad. That's not. That's more a reflection of their ownership. But it's not yeah, like it's not their fault. Yeah, it's not like Luis Medina is trying to go out there and give up six runs. Like they're trying to do well. You have to understand, like, it's like the fans act like when something goes wrong, it's like, oh, there's such a wimp and all this other stuff. Like, they could have prevented that. And it's like, they tried. Like, well, my they're favorite, going out there and purposely tanking. My favorite thing for, for fans, too, um, is, like, the other team's professionals as well, and they're also trying to do their job. Right! Like, <laughs> like it's, it's... They're not uh, just... This isn't the Harlem Globetrotters. Like, the, the other team actually is attempting to win as well, and, and they're professionals in their own right. Like, Foolish Baseball had a good tweet where he was, like... He was talking about uh, Masasaki... Uh, 
Masasaki Yoshida, and he was like, uh, you know, he, he goes, if if they come, if he comes anywhere close to his projections, he donate two hundred dollars to the Red Sox fund, and you know, he was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And someone's like, why are you rooting on his downfall? He's like, you could also argue that I'm rooting for his opponent's success, right? Yeah. Like, like, yeah. That's true. Like for every single good interaction or bad interaction that you hope for your team, you could argue you're just hoping for the reverse of the other team. Like right. if I want, like Jose, I have a weird relationship with Jose Barrios because I had him in fantasy back in like 2019. And if you remember Jose Barrios back in 2019, it was like, this is the most inconsistent pitcher in the goddamn world. Like if I started him, he was terrible. If I benched him, <laughs> he was great. And so he costed me a fantasy baseball championship that year. And so I still hold it against him because I'm never going to forgive that. Uh, as a rational person does right <laughs> um and but like now i can fully recognize that jose barrios is a good pitcher and everything but i just i can't like if i root for his failure i just like oh no i'm just rooting for like the orioles to do well today and like i, I could totally make that argument even though in reality is like yes i am rooting on that guy's downfall because he <laughs> costed me money like I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna debate that but like if you're listening to this jose barrios i really don't have anything that much against you it's more of an ongoing joke that i have at this point <laughs> And yeah. I'm sure Jose Brios doesn't care. He doesn't care. He's gonna if he, if he did listen to this, he's just gonna be like, ah, who cares? I maybe maybe he'll like. Well, I appreciate the guy's honesty at least. Like that yeah. might be all that he thinks to himself. Well, and imagine being a like football. It's got to be way worse because fantasy is such a oh, bigger so and, yeah, and so obviously bigger. on the gambling side of things too. Of yeah. like death threats when you know bad beats or like people claiming a football coach is a horrible human being because he he marched down the field with no time left and covered the spread involved. Yeah, like you start getting people's money involved, you get people real pissed off. Yeah, like, the it's crazy. Of winning and money, it's like bad mix. It's so much worse in football, though. You're right. Like, yeah. you have, like, that guy. I remember – I can't remember who it was, but last year he's, like – some of you – I believe he says, like, some of y'all are way too bold in my DMs from talking about sports gambling. He's, like, I'm here. You're not. Like, remember that fact. And it's, like, yeah. Like, they're professional athletes. They're way better than me at what they want to do. I'm not going to talk – I'm not going to run my mouth off to them. Again, I may jokingly say, like, oh, this guy stinks. He's still way better than me. Like, <laughs> infinitely better than i am so i'm not gonna like i'm only do it in a joking sense and i'm not actually serious like if they're there if they're at the top of their profession they're really good like fully fully what they do exactly like this is like you're are you gonna go up to steve cohen and say you suck at making money no (laughs) (laughs) really good yeah like you could argue the ethical you know issue with how he makes money that's fine but like he's not bad at making money he's clearly quite good now imagine going up to an athlete and saying you suck at what you do no they don't they're clearly very good so let's 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 i'm going to kick back real quick to the yankees in in your opinion because uh you're someone who obviously is is as a fan you follow them probably closer than even trevor and i what where do they go from here? In your opinion, where do they? Where do you think? Where do you see them going from here, going into next year? As far as you know, they, you know, obviously, this is an organization that's going to try and compete. There, there really isn't rebuild in that organization, and and I don't necessarily think that's wrong because they have pieces there. And and if some things broke the right way, especially on the injury front this year, they're probably in a much different position. So, Correct. where do you think the, the the right course is for them going into this off season? Yeah, I, that's a great question because I, I think this is for most young people's lives, like the biggest offseason of their lives as a Yankee fan. Um, so th- listen, I want to go back to a Mike Petriello tweet where he's just like, 
Carlos Rodon and Hester Cortez are going to combine for like 100 innings this year. Luis Severino's like completely fell off. And then Aaron Judge missed like 45, 50 games. All of that happened and then a bunch of other stuff. But just that stuff alone, that'll make this team miss the playoffs. Like that's a lot to overcome. They just got dealt a bad beat this year. Like just a lot of things worked against them. However, they are an old and slow team. Like, just objectively speaking, like DJ LeMahieu, Anthony Rizzo. Now, Rizzo's a little bit more complicated because of the concussion thing. And that that kind of, you know, creates some fogginess. Like, he could be really good next year if, if he recovers from the concussion. I think the Yankees might count on that. But, like, you look at Stanton, and there's not a lot of positives to point to anymore. He can't hit velocity, like, at all. You're, like... As a Yankee fan, you're just hoping somebody hangs a breaking ball and he'll smash it still. Like, he still ha- handles that. But, like, that's not good. So, you're stuck with Rizzo, Stanton, and LeMahieu. Like, they're still under contracts. Rizzo, like, if you wanted to trade, you might be able to pull it off. But you're definitely stuck with Stanton and LeMahieu. Like, they're a part of the team next year no matter what. Uh, the good news is, like, Judge and Glaber are also part of the team next year. And they should extend Glaber Torres. Like, he's a legitimately good baseball player. I know he makes dumb mistakes every now and again, and like that's just unfortunate. Like he's just if he could get out of his own way, this guy would be like one of the best players in baseball, in my opinion. But you know, even now he's still a really good second baseman. So you already have two good pieces of your offense. Um, you can improve the offense if you make a trade for Juan Soto if he's available. The rumor I have heard is that he will be available. Um, San Diego knows they can't re-sign him. Um, you know, they've already committed so much money elsewhere and everything. Um, there are some rumors that he's also unhappy there, uh, which I kind of don't blame him for that. Like, you know, he, I, he struggled his first year and it never really seemed like anybody tried to pick him up or anything like that. So I can kind of tell like how that would rub him the wrong way. Um, and also like, there's just a lot of rock room problems in San Diego. It seems there was an article the other day that detailed some stuff and it just, they got problems. Like they're just kind of a mess. And so. Trading Soto makes some sense for them. And the Yankees have what the Padres want. They have Everson Pereira, who I think is going to be really good. Like, I know people will look at his numbers this year and be like, you think a guy with like a 300 OPS is going to be good? Yes, because he hits the ever-living crap out of the ball. Like, his, you know, batted ball data in the minors was crazy good. He has great batted batted ball data. Um, and he's probably a plus left fielder. So, if you're the Padres, there's your immediate Soto replacement with six years of control. That's pretty big. They could trade Clark Schmidt and then maybe like one of their pitching prospects, like a Clayton Beater. And there you go. There's a starter with five years of control, a left fielder with six years of control, and a reliever with six years of control. That's a pretty intriguing package for Juan Soto, like one year of Juan Soto. They can make that deal, and I think the both teams would be happy there. Uh, if Soto's not available, upgrading the offense becomes a lot more difficult. Um, they could sign Cody Bellinger, but... Bellinger's probably looking at like close to a high 100s, low 200s, you know, contract. Um, I don't really care what team you are. I would not do that. I I know like he changed his approach and like it's worked for him and maybe the batting ball data doesn't fully recognize that. But the batting ball data is still not super encouraging. Like it works for his ballpark. We talked a little bit about this beforehand. Like he's able to loop these line drives in front of guys and put it down the line where Wrigley in right field, that works. Do that in Yankee Stadium, it doesn't work. Like it it's not the same level of success. It turns what are triples and 
you know, Chicago into doubles in New York into and doubles in Chicago into singles in New York. Like it just, it doesn't work. Now the Yankees could tweak his swing to go for more power, but then you have to wonder if the strikeout issue comes back. Um, again, it's just, he's a huge question mark, a huge question mark. And I'm not sure that's really worth their effort and time. If you're a Yankees fan, you know, they could improve third base with Condelario Chapman, but Chapman, you know, he had a red heart start and that's not really paid off. Uh, he's still obviously immensely talented over at third base, but you know, LeMahieu's good at third too. Like he's still a good club at third base. And obviously Oswald Peraza is probably right now one of the five best defensive shortstops in baseball and plays third base for them. Like, so they, they're fine. You know, if they believe in Peraza, I, I don't know if they do or not. The way they've handled him would tell you that they don't. Um, and I think there's good and bad reason to not believe in Peraza. Uh, I'm not sure he has the ability to be a great hitter. I think he can be an average one to maybe a slightly above average one, uh, just based off of his batted ball profile and swing decisions and everything. Um, I think he's a generational glove, though. I'm, like I said, I think he's one of the five best defensive. I know the data doesn't support that, but like I, I think he's an immensely talented defender. Um, and if you gave him a full season, he'd show it. Like he throws balls from the third base side at like 92 miles an hour. Like it's pretty damn impressive. Um, so. They might trade him for a pitcher. Um, there are some rumors that both Miami, San Francisco, and Pittsburgh are looking for a shortstop. Um, and all of those teams have something that the Yankees could possibly want. Like if you trade for with Miami, you could look for a potential Jesus Sanchez. If their Marlins are willing to deal him, they probably shouldn't be willing to deal him because I think he's a swing change away from being like an all-star. The guy has unbelievable power. But you could trade for Praza for Sanchez and Braxton Garrett, maybe throw in another guy there to entice Miami a little bit. You know, Clark and Praza for Sanchez and Garrett, I think, is a trade that both makes sense for both sides. Um, you know, if you want to offer up Praza for Mitch Keller, like I think Pirates would listen on that, though they should probably extend Mitch Keller, uh, but I don't think they will. Um, the Yankees have a lot of different options, and I haven't even talked about the big one, which is they could go sign uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Um, now, Brian Cashman was there when he threw a no-hitter. That got a lot of headlines and everything like that. Um, we had Jarrett Seidler on our podcast, and he was like, you should be more you know, aware if Tenering goes, and Tenering is there right now. So the Yankees' interest in Yamamoto, as it should be for everybody else, is very high. Uh, Yamamoto immediately becomes probably one of the 20 best starting pitchers in the you know major leagues right now if he, if he were to sign. He's really, really good, and he's 25. Um this is an interesting market for starting pitchers because, like, Aaron Nola is available. Uh, I think Marcus Stroman's pr- probably going to be available. Um, there are a lot of guys who are available. And so they don't really need starting pitchers. Like, Yankees are really good with arms, really, really good at developing arms. I mean, Johnny Brito pitched three, you know, scoreless innings, three perfect innings in relief yesterday, and he was sitting 97 98 on his sinker and throws a good changeup and has developed a pretty good sweeper. Like, he's a guy who could be pretty good. They have Drew Thorpe down in the minors who's, I mean, if we had better data, if we had better public data on prospects, people would probably say Drew Thorpe's one of the three best pitching prospects in baseball. Like, Mm. he has the highest swinging strike rate in the minors. He has the best strikeout minus walk rate in the minors. He's thrown a ton of innings this year. Um, He's currently on the IL. I don't know why. My belief is that they just wanted to extend his season because he was getting close to his innings limit, um, which the Yankees are really good about keeping pitchers healthy in the minors they've done pretty good with that um they also have will warren who has the best stuff plus in triple a this year um 
they have a lot of options on the mound. And so Yamamoto would obviously make them better. But I think, you know, if you sign Yamamoto, you still need to go get a bat. Ideally, that's Soto. Like in yeah. a perfect world, trading for Juan Soto is exactly what this team needs. You get a left fielder, maybe not very good in left field, but I think he's actually maybe like a couple tweaks from being okay. It used to be he couldn't throw, but he could go get a baseball. Now it's he can throw, but he can't go get a baseball. So it's like, just got to find a way to mesh the two and he'll figure it out. But I mean, it's also like, again, you look at his career you know, numbers and he has more walks than strikeouts in his career. And he's also averaging like 30 plus home runs a year. Yeah. That just doesn't come around very often. No. Oh, and he's younger than me. And mm-hmm. like, right. he's going to be a free agent at 26 years old. Like, yeah. you can't, you can't pass up that opportunity. They tried to trade for him initially last year. Um, the Nationals just didn't really like uh, the, you know, they were willing to trade Volpe, Peraza, Dominguez as they should have. Um, and, you know, Nationals were like, no, you know, we like James Wood, Robert Hassel, and the return that they got from San Diego, which has worked out. That return has been very good for them. Um, I criticized it at the time. I didn't think it was enough. Granted, I thought nothing was enough. I didn't think yeah. it was worth trading Juan Soto. I think when you get somebody like that, that's the guy that you pay. But Nationals are in a bit of a different situation with their ownership, and, you know, they might have a new one and money. I understand that. So the Yankees clearly really want Soto. They wanted Otani too, but that's not going to happen. He's just going to go to the Dodgers, which is, <laughs> I remember somebody was like, how come we aren't treating Otani's free agency like LeBron's first free agency? I think we're, I think it's because everybody knows like, hey, it's just going to the Dodgers. Like, right. Yeah. I know this isn't a Yankee thing, but like, what's there to talk about with the best player of all time that wants to, he, he said the most important thing to him was winning. Okay. Just go to the team that's in your city <laughs> then. Like, why? Like, they also, Again, they cleared $70 million in right. payroll to be able to – like everybody knows what they were doing. They were yeah. This was supposed to be the year for the Padres, which is why I think a Soto trade is so likely. Is This was the year I think most people agreed like, oh, yeah, Padres can like win that division. And now they're going to probably finish below 500 out of the playoff race. Like they just got to change something. Like I would be very surprised if A.J. Preller is still in charge of the team next year. Like – that would I've talked to a couple people and they all kind of say like the same thing. Anticipate some level of change. I think the like the clubhouse stuff that I just talked about earlier, like that's also a sign that just, just need to make a change. Like this just maybe he didn't necessarily do anything wrong, though Preller made several mistakes, but like you might want to move on from Bob Melvin. I don't think he's a bad manager. I actually think he's quite good at his job, but like when you have clubhouse problems and things are going around, you just need like a full just like kind of shut down and reset. And so like again, if the Yankees can make that trade. If they trade for Soto, sign Yamamoto, like make like a couple small moves here and there, they're easily one of the best teams in baseball, if not the best team in baseball. Like they should have been one of the best teams in baseball right. this year. They mm-hmm. just had so much stuff go wrong. And it's I you could say like maybe the game is past Brian Cashman by. I think that's an argument that you could make. I don't think that's true. Like Look at a deal he made. Like even the the Donaldson IKF for Gary and Geo, which led to the Twins signing Correa, that's gotten a lot of flack. But if you look at the trade itself, Donaldson should have been the best player in that deal. He had a good year the year prior. There was Mm -hmm. no sign that he was showing signs of age. And again, before the shoulder injury and the racism bit, uh, you know, he was still pretty good. Like he had like a 120 WRC plus with great defense at third base. By all accounts, the trade was looking fine. Like, it was working out. 
it's just after that things went horribly wrong for him. And then this year he probably shouldn't have been playing. But like, yeah, it it that that was a you could argue that that was a mistake. But I still think making that deal it's nowhere near one of Cashman's worst trades. Like no, like also he traded Joey, he traded for Joey Gallo, and then traded him for Clayton Beater, who had 13 strikeouts the other night in his in a AAA start. And if you know anything about the run environment in AAA, that's really damn impressive. Yeah. Like it's. I think the argument comes down to like, if you want to move on from Cashman, you have to trust Hal Seinbrenner to hire somebody that's better than Brian Cashman. And that's personally not comfortable with that. Like I'm just yeah. not, that's not something I'm comfortable with. And well, I would rather just give Cashman another chance. And, and how many, how, how often is he going to pertain to what the fans want? Right. Because that is such a market where right. it's driven and fans are going to want their opinions heard and they're going to voice their opinions. And then he just ends up putting them in a position where he you, hires somebody. But you somebody. tell them that though. You tell the yeah. fans that they get listened to and they're like, they should do that. No, they don't. It's like, yes, like it's very obvious how Steinbrenner listens to the fans. Yeah. Like 100%. it's, yeah, you can like, you can see it in the moves that they make. If Hal Steinbrenner didn't listen to the fans, DJ LeMay, not on the team right now. Mm-mm, he lets right. him walk after 2020. Like, yeah, there were a lot of fans, including myself, who said that they should let DJ LeMahieu walk. Now, has LeMahieu been fine? Yeah, he's been fine. Like, he's not he's not really that big of a problem. He's a good defender at multiple spots, an average hitter with maybe the potential to still be like a 110 to 115 hitter by WRC plus anyway. Like, he's not that large of a problem. But like, yeah, they signed him because Hal felt like he couldn't survive that if you let him walk. Yeah, and yeah. He, he's the, he's the prototype of what the Yankees Twitter wants. He's a contact yeah, he's a guy con- who uses contact the first other, guy. other part of the field. You can't shift him. He doesn't strike out. He's just he's a thing of beauty to Yankees Twitter. And in reality, there is value in that, and it created a little bit of more versatility in their lineup. But I'm going to go back to the Juan Soto thing. Is Mike Petriello had a really good tweet that Dan and I covered on the podcast in the off season, and it was in pertains to the Marlins. The Marlins don't have a contact issue. They have a quality of contact issue, right? Yeah. And a lot of people get it confused that Luis Arias was the the straw that stirs the drink in Miami this year. No, it's Jorge Soler going for 40 pumps, right? That's been the difference in them being a competent offense that can compete for playoffs. The Yankees don't have a contact issue. They do have some guys that swing and miss, but you know who also swings and miss a lot, who Yankees Twitter forgets about? Aaron Judge, and he freaking wins MVPs and can hit 60 home runs on a whim. They have a quality of contact issue where outside of guys like Judge and Glaber, which Glaber in the past had not been as good as he's been this year, Juan Soto brings both. He's a unicorn. He brings contact, power. His floor is through the roof because he's going to be 350 OBP. We saw that last year when he struggled. He rolls out of bed and can sniff 400 OBP plus flash 30 home run power. That's what this lineup needs worse than bad. Not Andrew Benintendi. Not these guys that they're going to go out and add them in their lineup thinking that, oh, they spray the ball. They do all this stuff. We should have traded for Arias, all this stuff like that. No, they tried to just, too. Exactly. You've I've I've seen you mention that. They need a quality contact guy who can also hit for power. Exactly. They need good hitters. Yes. They just need the they the and Soto is a generational hitter. Soto also makes a ton of listen, Soto fits any team because he's a great hitter, right? But yeah. again, we kind of talked about this a little bit before that Yankee Stadium doesn't play to big power lefties who hit the like Matt Olson, you know. It's also funny when t- t- people say like the Yankees passed on Matt Olson. They made an offer. The A's just didn't really like Oswald Peraza very much. I'm sure if you went back in time 
and gave the A's another chance to make the Olsen deal, they probably don't take the one that Atlanta gave them. Yeah, like, I they not. suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they probably... Now, you could argue that the owner maybe tells them to take that deal just because he's the owner and he's trying to make a bad team so that he can get rid of... get out of Oakland. It's a whole other conversation about how terrible that guy is. But, like, from a baseball perspective, the Yankees made a better offer than Atlanta did. They just... The A's just didn't like Oswald Peraza very much. Now, is Peraza going to turn into a superstar in Oakland if they make that trade? No, but he's probably Not better Oakland. than what. No, nobody is. Uh, <laughs> but like, he's probably better than what Shea Langliers has given them, right? Like, I think that would be a fair and safe bet. But like, it was the Yankees made an offer of two, you know, roughly the same prospects, Peraza and Langliers, and they just preferred Langliers, so they didn't get Olson. But Olson's not. Listen, the year Olson's having in Atlanta, he wouldn't have more home runs in Yankee Stadium. He's hitting these home runs that are forty feet past the fence. But Soto will hit some line drives and some weak, like shallow fly balls that'll turn into home runs at Yankee Stadium. He's got enough power to obviously boost it way beyond that. But because of his ability to make contact the other way and kind of yank balls a little bit that'll go down the line as like low line drives in in San Diego, there'll be home runs in Yankee Stadium. Uh, And that'll raise his profile even more. Uh, Yeah, Soto is perfect for the Yankees. And I do think that there's a lot of interest there. I think if the Yankees are looking for ways to clear payroll, obviously you can trade Anthony Rizzo. Um, they have Ben Rice down in the minors, who's absolutely tearing it up in Somerset right now. He's 24 years old. That's old for older on the older side for a prospect, but like he can hit. And so, you know, if you want him to play first base, that's somebody that could fill in there. You can platoon with LeMahieu and Rice and clear some space to then bring in Soto if you wanted to be able to keep him and everything like that. The Yankees have options. I like their future is fine. They have a really good farm system. They pump out arms like it's nothing. I am adamant that whatever they pay Sam Breen, who is their director of pitching, is clearly not enough. Because I mean, a year ago, how many people had heard of Chase Hampton and Drew Thorpe? Most people no. Well, first of all, Thorpe had just been drafted, and I think Hampton had just been drafted. So most people didn't know they exist. Now they're unilaterally top one hundred prospects. Thorpe's probably a top 30 prospect and Hampton's probably a top 50 prospect. Like these guys are really good pitching prospects. Again, if we had better data, we would see like, oh my God, these guys are really good. And they also have now, obviously Dominguez's injury has affected things and stuff and they need to find a a short-term solution for center field. Um, But like I, Dominguez is weird, right? When he got signed, it was like this is the next Mickey Mantle. It's like that's yep. such a that's such a hard label to put on a kid, like, <laughs> especially in that 16, organization, right? Like it's like you're he's 16, but Dominguez has always kind of like fed off that. Like it, a couple of people I know who have met him and like he loves it. He loves the attention and everything because he thinks he plays better that way. He's like I love a challenge, and I mean early returns in AAA and at the big league level were obviously really encouraging he was hitting the crap out of the ball making good swing decisions um and you know elevating his biggest problem was you know all right can he elevate the ball enough to like really reach to his potential because he's got raw power i mean i would probably say it's like 70 grade law raw power he's insane he can hit the ball really hard with unreal bat speed um but he just hit too many ground balls. Juan Soto and him have roughly the same problem of just like, you weren't sure if they were going to elevate enough to be good. Obviously Soto has elevated enough. He still hits a lot of ground balls, but that kind of makes sense. uh, If you just watch his swing. 
Um, but Dominguez was elevating the ball consistently in the big league level. So clearly something was starting to stick. And if he figured that, you know, if he had stayed healthy, there's a good chance that Dominguez is going to be really, really good. They also have Spencer Jones down in the minors, and there's some differing opinions about Jones. He does strike out a lot. He does His swing and miss rate isn't that bad, but he does take a lot of strikes, um, probably because he's just big. <laughs> he's 6'7". Six, six, uh, like, like Aaron Judge gets more called strikes against him than most people because, you know, the ball that's at his, you know, Achilles and his calf is a call to strike on him because it's a strike on everybody else. And so the umpire has a hard time differentiating against that. Um, and so, like, yeah, that's part of the problem. But again, if you tell me that a guy who's six seven has 43 stolen bases and is one of the best defensive center fielders in the minors, I'd feel pretty excited about that. Like, we talked earlier about how, like, athleticism doesn't always lead to success as a baseball player, but he's got great athleticism and a lot of raw tools that you like. Again, the Yankees are fine. This year has not gone their way. It's caused some people to freak out, but they're fine. I fully expect them to compete for a championship next year. It just depends on the moves that they make. Now, if they decide actually we're going to continue going deeper on the youth movement, I don't think that's what they do. I think they're just, like, seeing what Peraza and Pariah and Wells can do to try and evaluate trades that they can make that potentially involve those guys. Um, because I think the Yankees kind of view Augustin Ramirez as another catcher that they have who's better than Wells behind the dish, but maybe doesn't offer the bat. Um, they have they have options. They're fine. They're, they'll be good next year. I fully expect them to be competing for the division. Um, you know, The division is tough. Obviously, the Orioles are really good. The Rays always find a way. The Red Sox farm is really, really good. But... They just fired high and bloom, so I'm a little bit skeptical of their future. I I feel so bad for Heim Bloom. He got hired, and but let's be honest, he got hired to trade Mookie Betts. That's what he, he was hired to do. And the ownership in Heim Bloom, I was gonna go. I was gonna ask you something else, but we can talk about this a little bit because it's fascinating. We haven't talked about it on the podcast yet. But I said this before the season started to Trevor that he it felt like he was on borrowed time. I didn't agree with it, but it felt like that because I agree with you. He got there. Ownership and fan base and him have felt completely disconnected on what ownership wanted, what the fan base wants, and what he was trying to accomplish. They brought in a guy, like you said, to trade Mookie Betts, who's really good at finding value on the edges, who's creative in roster construction, who understands the things, and ownership and the fan base want the World Series team, the four World Series teams we've seen since the start of the millennium, which was all these large payroll teams filled with these superstars. And Hein Bloom, he might have eventually gotten there, but he was going to take his time and build up prospect capital to get to that point. And it just felt like there was a – I mean, because you looked at some trading bets, letting Bogarts walk, but then handing out – like he was. it was almost like they tied him up in a, in a supply closet and made him get the Devers yeah. deal done. The Yoshida thing was like – all of his other moves, like I like Yoshida, I thought like good move, but that was a lot. Like when it didn't when they signed like, him, it was a big deal. And it, it was, was like like, a, but, like that's a lot of money. And why is he doing? Why is he making that move? Like that doesn't seem like it's what his vision for the rest of this roster is. The then to see the Devers contract and the Yoshida contract, it always felt like there was some pressure from overhead. That kind of they were never on the same page. And and that's kind of what led to this. I'm not. I wasn't surprised when I saw he got let go. It was like this felt like it was coming from the beginning. I was and wasn't right. Like I was because it was. It literally came out of nowhere. Like totally unexpected in that regard. But I wasn't because I I looked and the average GM has lasted as long as he has. It's literally been 
about three and a half to four years for every GM since they got rid of Theo Epstein. Again, they hired Bloom to trade Mookie Betts and save money and build up the farm system. He did that. He literally yep. did what they asked him to do. And then his reward was getting fired. Like, <laughs> that's so bogus. Like, yep. he... They have, in my opinion, they probably have like a top, they have a top 10 farm system. I think Roman Anthony is really good. I, I think that's a potential future all-star there. Meyer, I'm a little hesitant on. He was hurt, so it's kind of hard to say. But Kyle Teed was a great draft pick. I expect him to potentially be catching games next year for them. They really need it. Um, so, yeah, firing Bloom, I was just kind of like, why? Like, and it also, like, it depends on who they bring in, but right, their ownership's like, we're trying to win World Series. Then why didn't you spend, right? Like if your goal was to win World Series, you've only won when you spent a lot. Right. Like they brought in Dombrowski to do that, and he achieved that at the cost of their farm system. So what'd they do? Fire him. And they he left the Red Sox in a really bad place. Their yep. future was really bleak when Dombrowski got fired because they had a bunch of big contracts and they had to either pay Mookie Betts or pay Devers or pay Bogarts, and they had no farm system. And so they bring in Heim. He gets rid of Betts. You could argue that the return on Betts was clearly not enough. They had to, they attached David Price. That was clearly an ownership thing, in my opinion. I know that there's some rumors that you know he wanted to do that, but like no chance. Like I'm sorry, given right. what the Red Sox were doing, it was clearly an ownership directive to get. They traded Mookie Betts in a salary dump, essentially. Like. And you could argue like Verdugo and Wong and Downs was not the return that they needed. That's probably fair. Like they might have misevaluated on some guys, and that's that's fine. Verdugo's not that good. Like he's average at best. Wong is not good. Like really, and Downs is with a completely different team. Different. So yep. So it didn't it didn't work, right? But it's also not his, it's not really his fault, right? Like. When you're trying to trade a generational player in a salary dump, it's automatically not going to go well. Um, and so, yeah, it, it didn't work out. Um, and then you could say like 2021 kind of did them in too. They randomly won 92 games, were randomly competitive. Um, they had a lot of things go right for that team. And then ownership just didn't build off that. Right? Like they they, right. they signed Trevor Story. Um, and again, like, that wasn't necessarily a bad move because Story could have been the potential Bogarts replacement. Also, you know, putting Story, Devers, and Bogarts in the same infield might have been certainly good offensively, a bit of a liability defensively, but, you know, uh, it, it wasn't a bad idea, right? But they didn't do enough on top of that. They didn't go out and get pitching, which they have, they've needed for years now. It's been obvious that they need pitching. They're still relying on Chris Sale. No right. offense to Chris Sale, but he's going out there and throwing 88 to 92 mile an hour fastballs. Oh, I know I'm saying this the day after he struck out like 11 10, Blue yeah. Jays hitters and, and six scoreless until he gave up a home run to Vlad. I, I know that that happened yesterday, but his stuff plus grades are in the toilet. Um, he's not going to survive at 88 to 92. He's just not. Like, Eventually teams will figure out that he's just trying to throw more sliders and more changeups. And you know he's throwing a lot of sliders in the zone. They'll start to hit that pitch. Like, I think it's kind of sad what's happened to Chris Sale. I think at one point in time he was a, like going to be a shoe in for the Hall of Fame. Now I don't think he's anywhere close right now, and I don't think he gets there. But they're still relying on him to be good. James Paxton was good for a bit. That looked like it was going to be a good move. They didn't trade him. Has not worked out since. <laughs> uh, but like, they 
I think Bello is really good. I think Brian Bello is a good pitcher. I think that that's a guy you can build your staff around. But, you know, obviously I have questions about how they're going to go about it. They are another team that, like, Yamamoto makes a ton of sense for them. A ton. And I know they're pretty heavily interested. I know the consensus on Yamamoto is that the Mets will just outbid everybody for him. I'm kind of hesitant on that a little bit just because I, I wait to see, you know, if the Mets actually do make an offer. You know, they've kind of been saying different things about 2024, so it's hard to say. But, like, Yamamoto makes sense for the Red Sox. But, again, now I just said Roman Anthony's this great prospect. They're going to trade him for, like, Corbin Burns or something. Right. And it's like, nothing against Corbin Burns. I, th- I think he's s- still good. But if you had told me, like, yeah, you're trading Roman Anthony and other prospects for Corbin Burns, I'm immediately going to tell you that, that that's probably a mistake. Like, yeah. Roman Anthony's good. Uh, but again, they need pitching, so they'll argue that it's worth it. And it's like, but is it, though? They're just going to do what Dombrowski did. They're going to sell off on the farm, go for a championship. Maybe they win. That's hard to say because their division is so good. But I just, I don't get what they were thinking. Like, if they hire Brandon Gomes from the Dodgers, who's clearly very deserving. He's a very smart guy from all that I've been told. And obviously, if you're the Dodgers GM, you're clearly due for an upgrade into base, president of baseball operations. But why don't you just keep Heim? Keep Heim Balloon. Yep. Yeah, like you're just yep. you you literally have your own version of Brandon Gomes. Like if they hire another name that I got thrown out was Mike Frost, who's I think Atlanta's assistant GM who came from Houston. Again, I bet if you talk to Frost, he'd probably tell you like, yeah, Heim Bloom's really smart. Like that's like, yep. like somebody he would consider a good executive. And again, you could argue that Heim maybe wasn't that great at the job. I think that like again, the the bet's return wasn't great. They made some moves that haven't worked, made some moves that they probably should have, that they didn't. Um, but overall, I definitely felt like he had one year left on the contract. Like It was totally worth it to just give him that chance to see if he could build a World Series contender. He's smart. Yeah. He's a smart dude. Mm-hmm. Like He came from you know, the Eric Neander tree, which is a good tree to right. come from. Like, yes, it is. You know, that produced James Click, who just won a World Series last year. Uh, like I don't know. Like Yeah. I was frustrated by the, the by the firing because I just think it says like if you're a Red Sox fan, I'd be kind of like skeptical of your future a little bit. They might win because yeah. that's what they they somehow repeatedly do. But you're gonna what's if you're an executive, why take that job? You know you're gonna get fired in four years. You have to be someone like you said. You have to be someone like Dombrowski who's going to come in and be willing to do what ownership and the fan base wants, which is rack up the payroll, get rid of the farm system, win your World Series, and get out. I mean, the Browski's with the Phillies now and went to the World Series last year, so I, I don't think he's too upset. But like, No, right, and he won another World Series in Boston. He's taken every organization he's worked for to a World Series. I yeah, mean, he's clearly good at his job. You have to be like, someone like that, right. Yeah, yeah it, but it's definitely – I was frustrated by it. Like, I was just – I was pretty – I guess I shouldn't be too frustrated because maybe it means the Red Sox aren't going to be good for a bit, but, like, it's, it's frustrating because it's, like, it's bad process, and it's yes. also mm-hmm. – it's ownership meddling, which I never like. Like, look nope, at the answers. They're a mess because of their owner. Like, the day Artie Moreno said he was going to sell the team, I was like, this is, like, the best day in Angels history. Like, I know yeah, they were backed off that, hasn't he? Yeah, he did. He backed off it, like, a couple months later, and it's like, well, the Angels are never going to be good. And now there, there's that. Yeah, that's a whole thing. Go ahead, Trevor, because I don't yeah. even want to get well, into the Angels. I was just going to say, because I'm actually going to segue to the Otani situation, because... Hein Bloom was was handcuffed, and we evaluate trades in hindsight, right? And we talk about you mentioned it, avoiding your biases. We we always evaluate trades down the down the down the line, and 
Mookie Betts under one year of contract, and he was kind of like an every other year guy at that point, right? Yeah, Mookie it, Betts he was. we're looking at in 2023 is is completely different from one year of the Mookie Betts that we, we saw at that point coming off of, you know, an MVP before and then a struggle down year, and he was, you know, going to be good. And But one-year contract left, right? He had one year of control. Right, the return the was never going to be as good as people right. thought no, it should as, be. as what 12 years of Mookie Betts with bat speed training has become, right? Like that's what Correct. we evaluate Verdugo, Wong, and Downs for. Downs was a top 100, borderline 75 prospect at the time. Wong was depth piece at, depth piece at catcher, and they got a, a third fringe, fourth outfielder from an organization that developed guys like like nothing. So like in hindsight, it was like, yeah, of course it's a bad trade. Those guys have not panned out. But at the time, it was like one year control. And that, that brings me to the Otani situation, which is obviously we're looking at why didn't the Angels trade them? I think it personally genuinely comes down to the fact that nobody was going to match what you had expected. The internet will tell you that Otani is going to net you young starting pitcher. You know, if the Yankees wanted Otani for half a season, it was going to take Volpe, Dominguez, Spencer Jones, and Austin Wells, like right off the bat. And right. that's, that's just not, not the case. Yeah. That is just not realistic at all. And the Angels felt handcuffed in the fact that. This is not going to turn over our farm system. If they traded them last trade deadline, it would have, right? We saw what the Soto deal was, but it's it's very interesting. Obviously, you mentioned that the ownership middling and, and all the things like that, but I personally give credit to the Angels because they tried, right? There's nothing that irritates me more than being on the seesaw and on the fence. One week you're trying to spend money, one week you're not. But man, has every long-term contract and everything they've done just gone wrong in that city. Like, it's bad. Yeah. You can't even be un- that unlucky. So I'd, I'd love to hear your take on the Otani not trading him. And then obviously now it seems like he's going to – he's destined for, for a little trip south. So I said this on the pod that it only ages well if it works when they didn't trade Otani and the moves that they made. It only ages well if it, if it works. But from a baseball operations standpoint, absolutely should have traded Otani. Like, like there was no reason to keep him because that team was mediocre at best, right? Like, n- not not good enough. Now, did a lot of things outside of what they could have predicted go wrong? Absolutely. Like Trout getting hurt, uh, Taylor Ward, you know, the fall of Jared Walsh and stuff like that. There's a lot of things that that happened against them that you could that was hard to see coming. Anthony Rendon, I think you could see coming at this point, and that's just a weird situation. Kind of don't really feel that bad for the guy anymore, given his comments and stuff. Like, what a weird dude. Um, but the guy doesn't love baseball. I'm convinced. I don't I think he does. Like, I, 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 I also, I just think he's kind of a dick. He's <laughs> like, not a good guy. <laughs> yeah, like he's just his interactions with the media are just so odd. Um, but like, there was stuff that was hard to see coming. But like. Would the return on, on Otani have been great? It would have been like trading like a two-year starter or something, like a, yes. a starter with two mm-hmm. years of control. Mm-hmm. It would have been like trading Luis Castillo. Mm-hmm. I think but, you could have like yes. compared the, the Castillo return to what you could have gotten for Otani, which is very good. Obviously, I think Novelli Marte is going to be very good. I think the Mariners do that trade 100 times out of 100. It's really worked out for them, and they were really good at developing the things that Castillo needed to get developed, which was fastball command. Uh, fastball velocity like they're really good at that stuff so that worked out but that's the kind of return that you could expect it so like there was rumors that the Yankees were going if the Otani was available they were going to go like all in to try and get Otani makes sense like that would be a good move for them but again were you going to get Anthony Volpe in return no 
Were you going to Peraza in return? Maybe. Would that make sense? No. Dominguez? All right. Maybe Dominguez makes some sense. And remember what Dominguez was in July compared right. to what Dominguez right. was Right. He was now, really, right? You're really about struggling. with a high ceiling. You're like, okay, like, sure, good prospect to get back. But again, Dan mentioned this on the podcast several times. Do we? Do the Angels trust themselves to develop a Dominguez? Probably not. not. Like at that point, no. it's just self-evaluation. Like we're going to screw this up no matter what. So let's just sell tickets the rest of the way and move on with our life. And I think it was Moreno didn't want to be the guy that traded Otani. Yep. He didn't want to be attached yep. to that failure. Like yep. he didn't want his name to be on that. Like if it works, he gets to put his name on – we put Otani into the postseason. We put Trout into the postseason and stuff like that. And like his name is now attached to that. And that's something that he wants to be, you know, attached to, which makes sense. Like he's an egotistical maniac. Like, of course, he wants to be attached to something positive. 30 right? owners are too. Yeah, There's of course. They're all, yeah, they're <laughs> all like that. Um, but, you know, he just didn't want to be known as the guy who traded Otani. Now, he absolutely should have. I think the return he got would have been good. But also, again, like, what does it matter? Like, the Angels' player development is not good. Uh, they are not good at scouting. I know there's some people who really like Nolan uh, Chanel. And I wanted uh, – listen, when the Yankees had a draft, I wanted to draft him because I thought the Yankees were a good fit for him because they're really good at improving bat speed. And he would have fit really well because he's got unreal play discipline. But his bat speed is really bad. He has no power essentially like he just cannot hit home runs or the baseball hard enough to be a good player and the angels are not going to improve that too right Right. the angels are not going to improve that unless he goes outside of the organization now i have heard some some you know uh facilities are admittedly trying to like recruit chanel to get them to go there like i'm Kyle Bodie's basically talked about, like, we'd love to have him. And it's like, yeah, of course he would. Because if you, know, if you fix his biggest issue, like, he'll be a good player. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's – the Angels are just frustrating because it's like there's so many things that they should do that they don't. And when they actually do something right by their fans, their fans deserve to have a team go for it. I fully understand that. <laughs> but it was not the right move, like – immediately when they traded for Lucas Giolito and Renato Lopez, I was like, man, like you're not good enough with pitching development to, to like get the little tick extra out of Giolito. I don't think you're good enough with hitting development to be, you know, the people who make CJ Crone back into what he was. And like Randall Gritchick is a platoon bat at best at this point. Uh, and Gritchick's been terrible for the Angels over there. Um, yeah, it immediately aged poorly. Like, what, they lose, like, 11 of their next, like, 14 after yes, that, yeah, after the trade or something like that? Yeah, it was just, I mean, maybe that's just the baseball gods' ways of saying, like, that's what you get for being stupid, but it's also, like... Bad process. <laughs> yeah, like, I feel bad for the fans. Like, they just don't, they don't deserve what's happened to them. Like... They deserve a team that's willing to go out and compete and be good and everything like that because they're a loyal fan base. They've been through a lot. They also got locked into two of the best players of the ever. Like Mike Trout, though the injury problems have begun to rack up, could still end his career with being one of the 15 best players ever. And if Otani finds a way to play 15 years, there's no way he's not one of the five best players ever. Like just no way. So, yeah, I think they got extremely lucky. And then did nothing with that luck. And that's just, I mean, it's heartbreaking. It's sad. Like, it's, 
this team should have been really good with just those two guys if they did just enough. Like if, let's say a team that's like also not like, like if the Twins lucked into both of those guys. The Twins probably have, now they do have bad playoff luck, so maybe this isn't the best example, but like maybe they win a championship, right? Because they're, they're in the playoffs every year at the very least. Right, because they're better ran than the Angels. Like it just takes not like an amazing front office, but like a good front office to make that team a, a winner. Because, but again, the Twins don't have Artie Moreno as their owner. And that's right. That's the difference. It's like when I'm evaluating offense, you know, a front office you know, processes, it's kind of tough because it's like we have no idea how much the you know owner interferes. Like, look at what happened with James Click in Houston. Like, he gets fired. Houston takes several steps back, hires Dana Brown, who I don't think is bad at his job, though trading Drew Gilbert for Justin Verlander was certainly a choice. Um, but his owner, like, fires his predecessor and then goes signs Jose Abreu and Rafael Montero to big contracts. Like, stuff that his James Click would have never done, Right. And so it's hard to say, like, how much of that is Dana Brown's fault. Like, his owner's probably telling him he has to do things. Is that good? No, of course not. But, like, that affects how you evaluate it, right? Like, you don't know what his owner is saying. The more the owner meddles, the, you know, bleaker it gets. Or you could just be the Rockies, who they don't know what they're doing everywhere. So it's fine. <laughs> do you think that they should and or will trade Trout this offseason? I think both will happen. I think they should. They absolutely should. Like, yeah. I'm not debating that. Like, they. The question is who, like, who would take him? I, listen, I love the guy, but you have to kind of recognize that that's a bit of a liability. He can't. He can't stay on the field. And like, right. Again, Trout at his peak is one of the best players in baseball history. But we're several years removed from him even just playing consistently. And this year he was. I mean, he was still good because, you know, a bad year for Mike Trout is like a great year for other guys, which is hilarious. But um, he was not what he had usually been. He was having the worst year of his career before he got hurt. And so you kind of have to evaluate that um, a little bit and say, okay, he's a big contract. He's only getting older and he can't stay on the field. Who's going to want that contract? Now, the Phillies are going to probably be the team that I think trades for him. There are some rumors that the Cubs and the Yankees might. Both of those don't really make sense to me. Uh, the Yankees are looking to shed payroll, not add to it with another contract like that when they're already stuck with like Stanton and LeMahieu, as I said. Um, so the Phillies make the most sense. Brandon Marsh is fine, but like you can keep Brandon Marsh. Also, it finally gets you know potentially you know if Harper really does stick at first base, you can take Schwarber out of the outfield. Thank God. Um, watching him play left field, I can't do it. Like it's it's so bad. As a Phillies it's, fan, as a Phillies fan, which I am, a couple things. One, yeah, Schwarber playing left field needs to end. I really hope they don't trade for Trout just because you're adding another huge contract. Let me, let me late. get in here. Why? This this is the only reason, and this is a personal. This is an extremely personal answer. This is not even. This is coming from a fan and not even a, a, a baseball necessary sense. There's a few reasons. One. You're just adding another one of those contracts, which they've they've now done over and over and over. Every they have season. several. They have several. The the mixture of now your Schwarber, Castellanos, Harper, and Trout all kind of boxed into the same thing. And then lastly, what will happen with the fan like the 
the return, him coming home to the hometown, just like the nightmare of, of we talked before we started recording of, of sometimes if it, to stay off social media. I'll never be able to open social media again for the rest of his career <laughs> because any time – I mean, we thought it was bad when Turner struggled early in the year. If Mike Trout struggles for a week in Philadelphia – It'll be and so it's it's not even a baseball from a brace baseball perspective. It's completely from a just as a fan and someone like just I, I'm imagining of like the construction of like where do you, what do you do with Castellanos? Does Harper stick it first? Does and you know I I, I I don't I'm not a huge fan of Mar- like Marsh is a good player. Johan Rojas is a great defender. I I don't think he, the success he's having at the plate I think is is kind of smoking short lived. Yeah, yeah, it's smoke and mirrors. I don't know if that's going to continue, but like now you're just boxing. You're going to have a bunch of 35 year olds who can't really run out in the outfield for like the next yeah. eight years. Yeah, it's, it's, let me, there's let concerns. Because I, I know both both the fan bases that that you both support are going to be, I think, involved in this. And this is kind of my perspective: is everybody because in the current state we have Doomsday Mike Trout, and very well Mike Trout could be Ken Griffey Jr. Where we sit there and we say the what if, what if, what if. Yeah. But if you're Philadelphia and you immediately move him to left field, like no questions asked. Which they'll do. You you send Castellanos back and maybe send a better prospect back because this is what I think. Like so many people think that the the trade is going to look like something we talk about with the Otani, with the big names. It's going to be way more Stanton-esque than it is like big time. Correct. The return is is, not going to be noticeable. And even if the the Angels might have to eat money to get a Stanton next trade because remember the Marlins did eat money. And I mean a guy – if he can get an offseason rejuvenated competing for a playoff contender, who's to say like there's obviously something wrong with the with the trainers in LA that they didn't identify this Rendon stuff, like Otani's weird situation that we've had like very yeah, just well. Getting like, out of Anaheim he, might do him some good. Exactly. He played eighty games this year, two sixty three, three sixty seven, four ninety, one thirty OPS like by all means oh, in eighty two games he's a three win. He's still player. good. You get that for three yeah. more years with yeah. Harper, Schwarber on DH, you keep Rojas in center field or even if it's just Pache like you have the bats to then lengthen your lineup and put a defensive only guy in center field and like I personally if you can get three more good years out of him even if it's only come September and October like that has to be worth it Look, imagine from a the baseball standpoint yes. and, if, and as a fan if you're if you're getting rid of Castellanos I'm in I'm in I just can't have all of those guys in that same. Yeah, no, I get. I think I that's fair. We get that. If you can get Castellanos anywhere off off the payroll, and I think that it's. But again, I think wherever he goes, he has to go right into left field. He has to be able to do that, and they have to be able to find a way to get him out of center field and let him rest his legs a little bit. That's just me. Yeah, I think there's there's arguments to both not make the trade and make the trade. Like, if you make the trade. And it works. God, you look like a genius, right? Yeah, like, right. You, you, we talked about everything's judged in hindsight, and that's definitely true with, with regards to this trout trade. Um, yeah, the the downside is like it's a negative value contract, right? Like right now, yeah. anyway, because mm-hmm. he can't stay on the field. He just. Right. But we also don't know. Like maybe getting out of Anaheim does him some good. If anybody trades for him, I think it's the Phillies. Like, I think he. I and I think it happens. Like. I, th- I don't think Dombrowski can help himself. Like, no. I, just, I, uh, like, I def- like, I just don't think he can. Like, I think he'd be like, you're willing to trade Mike Trout. 
like I don't think like like he has to like he just he's foaming at the mouth at the possibility of it. And it's listen, so like if it works, they're immediately one of the best teams in the league. Immediately, already, right, right, right. Now like they they're are, they're know? a good team right now. But if they make the trade, you automatically guarantee that Aaron Nola is not coming back, and he's probably True. not coming back anyway. No, I don't like, think so. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, the bigger question is, like, does it guarantee that Zach Wheeler walks at the end of his contract, too? Um, I, I say this. I'm a huge fan of Zach Wheeler. Like, Me I just too. genuinely yeah. feel so bad for the guy that, you know, he had a kind of a clunker his last start, and that probably kind of ended his Cy Young chances. But I felt so bad for him that he was once again involved in a Cy Young race where it's like, God damn it, man, what do I got to do? Like, yeah. like, what do I have to do to win this stupid thing? Mm-hmm. Like, when he lost to Burns, I was kind of like, I understand, understood the argument for Burns when he lost. I totally, I totally get that. But I just feel so bad for him. Like, Wheeler is a good pitcher, man. Just an objectively good. Really, really good, really good pitcher. And, and it's um, really cool to see pitchers that can extend their, like, like, it's very Max Scherzer-esque where we look at Zach Wheeler when he walked away from New York as one thing, and then we look at Zach Wheeler today as something completely different. When He's Max Scherzer wa- walked away from Detroit and signed with D.C., it was like one of those things where it's like, yeah, he's good, but... Then it was an overpay. You thought it was an overpay. Yeah, and then you look at him and it's like, oh my, it's one of the best pitchers we've ever seen. And that's the interesting thing about the pitching curve. And again, we're probably going to have to get you on another time because we'll be here all day if we want to talk about the <laughs> aging curve of, of pitchers, of how it changes and how it's different to hitters. It's just like guys can extend their peak. And it's really cool to see when guys post 30 and post first free agent contract actually go on to have success. Cause it so many times we have the Albert Pujols contracts and all these bad contracts, Mike Trout contract right now that we're talking about all these long-term Xander, you know, even a, a couple months ago now it's completely different, but the Trey Turner contract, all these big contracts that were like, wow, that's bad. It's really cool to see guys that actually go on to play out their contract and are successful. And I do think Aaron Nola is going to be in a similar situation in four or five years where he's might be, we might have a completely different perspective of him post first contract and go on to have three, four years. Yeah. I can't figure out Aaron Nola. Like I really, he loves giving up homers, but it's weird though. For the first time ever. Like, yeah, he's never never really had this problem. Like, He's always been a guy who underperforms his ERA. Like, his ERA is much worse than what it should be. And I've never really figured out why. Like, there, I've always had... Stretch. I'm not kidding. It's Look at just his numbers weird. with runners on base. It's crazy. They're pretty bad, yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know if it's just, like, a, what it is. And part of it, obviously, is the defense. Like, it's not good. Never been <laughs> good. Like, never yeah, been it's good. never been good. But, like, yeah, there's some... It's just weird. Like... I get the there's not a lot of trust there because it feels like every time he's like he needs a big start he like fumbles it it just I, it's weird like it I see Phillies fans like I can't trust Aaron Nola and I look at his line and I'm like I don't know I see a pretty good pitcher here and then I see like they're playing a divisional opponent and he gave up six runs and it's like oh okay I get it like I understand again that emotional side comes out right he'll, like, he'll go to Cincinnati and win a Cy Young or something like out of the which line would make no way. sense by the way <laughs> yeah well here's here's where I disagree because Trevor. Trevor's reaction is that because he sees Philly fans doing that. 
I the reason I disagree with Trevor and because I've always been one of Aaron Nola's biggest defenders until this year because command and velocity have both ticked down and I think when you're getting to his age and command and velocity he, go the wrong way, yeah. that's where you get concerned. Like for me, that's the only time I've gotten concerned. He had a bad year in 21. I wasn't concerned. There was a lot of bad at ball luck. It was, oh yeah, he just had a, he had an off year. Like he gave up a, a couple, some more homers than usual that year too, and he posted basically the same numbers as he does this year. The difference was is the velocity and command was there still and this year it, it hasn't been and he's thrown and coupled in with the fact that he's thrown like three million innings since he got into the league yeah. and he's to gonna me, that's why it's like yeah. that's why it's like i wouldn't give that guy a, a, a long-term deal yeah i i think there's there's reasons to be concerned about Aaron Nola. a great pitcher though i'd still think yeah. he's like yeah, like you're still getting like, a good a good pitcher if you and do he's been a that very deal. good pitcher for seven years yeah, I guess innings eater goes deep in the games. He's he's valuable. He's got some value. Yeah. I think I, I really do because I, I mean I not Dan, you watch him more than I do. Like I factor in because I factor in the playoff run, but it looks like they're gonna run at it again. And if he's going to a contender, you need to. It, does he change his changes off season programming? You know, Maybe. it's he very to. tough because it, it like I don't know. Like Max, Scherzer, I'm a huge Max Scherzer fan. I. I I, it frustrates me when when we have the Mets fans bashing him and people that have platforms that shouldn't have platforms just because they sit and scream like fifteen or five year old children <laughs> on social media. I think we all know who we're referring to. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think there is a certain component to pitchers train so hard, and I don't know if there is it to compete for Cy Youngs. And when you start pushing that 220, 230, 240, your body breaks down. Pitching is unnatural by nature. Throwing 200 innings and then pushing it into October, November, and then having to get ready for February of the next year, your body is meant to break down. And we've seen it with Max Scherzer where he's had these high highs and people say he's not clutch. I, I just think he's 39 years old and his body breaks down in October. Like that, It ruins Steven Strasburg's career. 100%. He blew it out for the 2019 World Series, and it's yeah. a tip of the cap to him. But his body shut down. It, it just He couldn't recover from that. Yeah, like he no. gave literally everything he had to win that ring. And the Nationals purposely like said, like, Strasburg's going to start the season on the IL in 2020. Like, they were yeah. openly honest about that. Like, and this is on purpose. Like, we need to give him more time to recover. Mm. Um, yeah, it, like, look at Tim Linscombe. Like if yeah. Tim Linscombe went from wasn't throwing 240 innings a year and was just throwing 210, a good chance that that guy's career goes a lot longer and he maybe makes yep. it into what he should have been. Like he was a for people who are on the younger side listening to this, <laughs> Tim Linscombe at his peak was incredible. Like yeah, was insane. just flat out amazing. It was wild to watch somebody his size just move the way he did and throw the way he did. Now you could argue that that movement is actually how, what helped did him in. Which is probably fair. His mechanics were not designed to last, I should say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like pitchers are not being a pitcher and being good post thirty-two is impressive. Like, yeah, you're especially if you throw as much as like Garrett Cole does and Aaron Nola does. Mm -hmm. Like, you could look at Garrett Cole's numbers, and again, he's probably going to win the Cy Young this year. Probably should have won it two times earlier. Like, this should be his third career Cy Young. But like, um, like you look at Garrett Cole's numbers. And you'd be like, mm, maybe like he's going to start regressing. I think it's a bit different though, right? Like we're talking about how the command of Nola and the velo of Nola is going down. Cole's velo is still there. He can still yeah. ramp it up to 100 when he wants to. And you'll see him do it. 
Like he'll have starts where he needs to get 98, 99, 100 in the back bag, and he does it, right? He just pitches like, I'm going to avoid the home run. That's part of why he's like, I expect him to age really well because yep. he's it, like, he's got still incredible command. His fastball command this year is probably the best it's been since 2019. Like it's, it's really incredible. Uh, it's just, you know, he sacrifices stuff a little bit to try and work deeper into games to try and give up less home runs and everything. Like he's just, he's more mature, I'd say, right? Yeah. Like he's a more polished version of himself uh, with experience. Like he used that experience to form it. Nola is a bit different. Carlos Rodon's, I guess Rodon's more of a command thing. His stuff is still really good, but like yeah. you see, that's the concern with guys who post 32 is like, when does the velo drop come? Especially when they throw as many innings as like Nola and Wheeler and, you know, like it's going to be a concern for Logan Webb at some point, right? Like, yep. like the guy is an innings eating machine. It's going to be a concern for Sandy Alcantara, although it already appears to be. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's concerns that you have with those guys is like, Hey, it's great that they throw 200 to 220 innings a year. But we have noticed that unless you're a freak like a Justin Verlander, a Max Scherzer, a Nolan Ryan, considering if you're old, that's the example that you love to go with for some reason. But like, look at Clayton Kershaw. I think Kershaw is like the perfect example of this. Mm -hmm. You know that Kershaw is only going to throw 100 to 130 innings now. Now, those 100 to 130 innings are still going to be probably top 10 caliber. He's still really damn good. But you understand that he does that now because of all the innings that he threw beforehand. And listen, I love Clayton Kershaw. I think he's like easily a top 10 pitcher ever, maybe even top five. Like he's so incredible. Yeah. Um, yep. But like he would probably tell you, yeah, I pitched a ton and that's partially forming why I have the problems that I have now. Like yep. he used to throw 97. Now he throws 88. And listen, his fastball has got so much spin to it and he's got great command of it that, it still can be effective, but yeah, he's not as good as he once was because of that. And it's through so many innings. That's a sacrifice you have to make it. He didn't have, he also got the back problems started a little bit earlier than like Verlander or Scherzer never faced the amount of injuries that he did. Mm -hmm. And that's also forming it. That's some, that's something that you could point to with Nola and be like, maybe that's a reason for optimism is he's never really had like a major injury. And so right. a change in off season, you know, training, he might be better, but mm-hmm. again, it's still like, this is a guy who was throwing 200 innings a year for, as you said, basically the past seven years outside of 2020, which was different, but like, right. yeah, he's, he's thrown a lot of innings. There's yeah. reasons to be concerned about that. Whenever a pitcher hits free agency, like you have to look at volume. You have to, but also you, you like, I say that as also that's a positive spin on Nola. Like, yeah, you know he's going to throw 200 innings. Like, mm-hmm. right. it works both ways. So it's a double-edged sword of like <laughs> later in that contract it might go poorly, but in the beginning part, like you are getting a guy who's going to work into games, going to give you a lot of innings, going to give you 32 to 34 starts a year. Um, like that's valuable. That just is. Yeah. Like it, it's something that you need. Well, and and even on top of that, I think they they value that in drafting. Like pitchers just seem to be ticking time bombs at either at it, on either. Yeah, end. it's a yeah. The it, elbow gives out at twenty two, and the back gives out at thirty two. But like, then there's guys that actually learn how to use their 
take care of their body and, and can pitch till 37. Like yeah, it's, it's like, how do you figure it out? I don't know. I, I don't wish that on my worst enemy to be in a, in those decision-making skills of like having to figure out which pitchers are going to stay healthy and which aren't that I think it's just not it, Garrett Cole seems to do a good job, but his elbow could give out this week. You could throw one pitch and it's over. Yeah. Like Like that's, it's it's as simple as that. Like everyone's like, well, arm injuries are up this year. Part of it is like the stickiness, the sticky stuff situation and the pitch clock and stuff like that. Those things are both a part of it, but also it's just going to happen. Like we could do all these things. You know, I had, when I had Eno on my podcast, I basically said like, do you think this effort of like, going all in max effort pitching is leading to injuries. And he was like, listen, it'd be foolish to say it's not part of it, but also try and tell a guy that you shouldn't go max effort and try and tell pitching coaches that they shouldn't go max effort. Their response is I'm going to lose a lot of money. And the pitching coach response is going to be, we're going to be really bad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's to not have pitchers go max effort and let their bodies just figure it out. Like I tell my pitchers, when I was at Santa Barbara City College, like, go one inning at a time. Just give me everything right. you got for that inning, and just, we'll just keep going until you don't have anything left. And eventually your body just figures out how to go one inning at a time, how to give everything you have for one inning. And some guys are really good at it. Some guys can go seven innings, eight innings and stuff and still be throwing. You know, I, I had this kid. He would be 84 to 86 in the first inning and 87 to 89 in his last inning. He knew how to do that. Like he knew how to plan his body around, but also could tick it up when he needed to and still give you everything that he got. We told him like never hold back. And he didn't. He just got better as the game went along. Good pitchers do that. But yeah. no, it's tough to see. It's tough to do. That's hard. Yeah. It's so difficult. We're yeah. talking about this as like, it's just like, oh yeah, it's so easy. Like if Garrett Cole could do it, everybody else can. No, Garrett Cole's a future Hall of Famer. Gonna win his first Cy Young. Probably should already have three of them. And it's like, yeah. He's special. He's different. Mm-hmm. He can do that. Justin Verlander used to get tons of praise for his ability to throw 100 miles an hour into the seventh inning. Guys can't do that. It's Mm-mm. not supposed to happen. You notice it because it's not supposed to be done. Yeah. So I, I, this aren't, this topic is fascinating to me because volume is so underappreciated now to the point of where like I think Logan Webb should win the Cy Young because he's going to throw 220 innings and everything and also give you like a low three ZRA and doesn't walk anybody, which is the polar opposite of the guy who's probably going to win. Uh, and <laughs> like, it's it, like, I think that's extremely valuable and, but it's different. It's, it's different because it's tougher. Um, hitters are too good, right? Yep. Like we, we talk about third time through splits, which has always been a thing. But it's also just give hitters credit. Like, they're right. really good nowadays. They're really good. Even it's, the it's, bad ones, yeah. bad, quote unquote, uh, are still really good at making adjustments. That's yeah. why they're there. Mm-hmm. No doubt. No doubt. And I think the, the conclusion on the velocity thing of taking things off is the only correlation between velocity and success is the harder you throw, the more success you have. Not all fastballs are created equal, but at the end of the day, 98 plays better than 92. Like that's just at the end of the day, that's what it Correct. is. But that's Max, just the reality we'll, of it. Yep. We'll, we'll be respectful of all of our times. We have, we have significant others that I'm sure want to see us on this fine <laughs> Sunday. My family is going to be so mad at me. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So now welcome to the club. We, Dan and I get this once or twice a week where we get the side eye when we walk back and and say where are but where can our listeners find you if uh if they want to check out the podcast or just follow you and see your yeah, see your sure. uh, world war three on twitter with yankee fans <laughs> uh 
you can follow me. My username is Greenfield, G-R-E-E-N-F-I-E-L-D, Max, M-A-X, 18. Uh, the Caught Looking podcast, we have episodes that come out pretty much every Monday. Uh, you can follow us at Caught Looking 18 on Twitter. Uh, we have episodes that release on Spotify, Apple, uh, pretty much most places you can find, um, you know, podcasts and everything. Uh, we do have some random special episodes and stuff that we get with guests and everything. Um, we've already had two. We had Eno Saris and Jarrett Seidler join us. Uh, you'll, if you listen to the pod, you're going to hear a lot of just complaining about the NL Cy Young race because I can't figure it out and it's bothering me. But like, hopefully, I don't talk about it tonight when I record. I hope, I, hopefully, my podcast partner and I avoid it because it's yeah. fun. But yeah, if you if you follow me, you're going to be in for a lot of just saying like you should ignore the average Yankee fan, um, and a lot of just like interesting. Like I I try to find things that I think are interesting and everything like that. Although when I tweet about something that isn't the Yankees, it gets no traction. So maybe yeah, you won't right. <laughs> notice it. So. Yeah, you're trying to grow a brand there. So no, yeah. I don't blame you for that. But uh, we appreciate that, and I'm sure our listeners appreciate all the insight, and they'll definitely be checking out the podcast if uh, when they come across your social media feed and everything like that. But we appreciate you joining on us on this pod. Of course, we'll have to do a, a podcast collab, the the double ep, you know, the two pods combined for one yeah, episode for each. Definitely we'll, a nice we'll have little to do that. round table discussion. We'll come up yeah. with some questions. We'll we'll try to keep it clean and and keep it like where we know who's going to answer each question. So there's not just a bunch yes. of talking over people and it ends up being five and a half hours. Like you know, what? You know now that we said it, it's going to happen. Yeah, we're going to yeah, we're going to make it happen. Exactly. We'll we'll definitely communicate with that, and I, I'm sure both of our listeners would definitely appreciate. But thank you to all our listeners for tuning in, as that will conclude our episode for today make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcast platforms including apple pods spotify and anywhere you find your podcast we post episodes weekly always hitting your feed at 7 a.m sharp don't forget to follow us on twitter at backside gb instagram at backside ground balls and tiktok at backside ground ball and most importantly make sure you're sharing with five friends and we'll see you next time on the backside ground balls podcast Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. And with the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find your game you want to go to, and enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs. I don't know, maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country. No matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals. Great seats at an affordable price. You can't beat it. Make sure to enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL for $20 off. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL.